Welcome to the Cork Church Podcast. We are so glad that you're joining us today. We hope that this message inspires you, builds your faith, and encourages you in the things of the Lord. Enjoy the message. Good morning. And it's great to know that there's a couple more dubs in the house tonight, or today. Hallelujah. We're good and welcome to all those online. I can see you. Um, well, uh, I don't know if he remembers or if, if you remember when Hamp stood up here at the beginning. He, he just said, God is going to move in your heart today. And, you know, that can be spoken at the beginning of any meeting, and we can, oh, yeah, yeah. He, but actually, he has. He has moved in hearts today. He's moved in my heart. And I trust you have a sense in your spirit of movement. He, he, he's, he's always moving. Yes, there's been some great moves in history when he sent his son to make a way so that man could move back to him. And there'll be another great movement in history, just as sure as that movement, when he comes again as king to establish a brand new world, new earth. His kingdom will come. Hallelujah. Movement. It's so important. And of course, he's moving every day. Sometimes we think, well, did the Spirit move? He's moving every day. And just as surely as you're breathing in air today, Something invisible that keeping us alive. He longs for every one of us to, to, to become, to be made new by His Spirit. And a veil is taken away from our understanding and eyes. And we say, now I know why Jesus came. Now I know why the Bible is every year the best-selling book in the world. And, and in spite of the fact we're living in an age of passivity, you know, the hostility of indifference is all around us. Uh, uh, we don't want to be sucked into this. We don't want to think, oh, well, we've arrived, and uh, as Christians, we get born again. There's always constant movement. I was just reading on Friday in, in Acts chapter 17, Paul is in Athens, probably the cultural center of the Roman Empire, and he has an opportunity one day to speak to some of the, the main men and the philosophers of that place. Uh, it's in a place called Mars Hill in Athens, and what a great word he brings, and you can read about it, but, but he, and at the end it says, some mock him, and at the end, some put him on the long finger, we'll talk to you again, but it said there were some who, uh, men and women, they believed, they joined him, they moved towards him, something moved in their life, and it's everywhere, every time the word of God is prayed, is ministered, is sung, there's movement, there's movement in the air. You know, when, and then when Ham came up and, and we were praying and, and that anointing of the Spirit came, we were praying for specific things. Uh, uh, I mean, two words, three words came to me, mover and shaker. He's moving and he shakes. And sometimes they don't like to be shaken. We like to keep the status quo. I remember when first that word was introduced, um, or two words, it's upwardly mobile. Can you remember that? Upwardly mobile. And when I first heard that, I didn't think of anything what it was talking about. But I was thinking of Colossians uh, yeah, chapter 3, verse 1. He said, you who have been raised in Christ, seek those things, move those things that are above. And, and, and I want to be upwardly mobile today. Like, I know it's a bit old word now. And in point of fact, if you look it up in the dictionary, it says, someone moving, having moved, or trying to move into wealth and status. L let's move. Let's be upwardly mobile not just for this half hour as we read this. Yes, but, but as we have already begun, and, and then when they sang, I, I sense movement in the atmosphere. Hallelujah. Thank you, Holy Spirit. He's come to move. And you know, that, at that time that Paul was preaching, in attempting to describe to them, the Athens, the Greeks, the unknown God, he says, for in him we live, and in him we move. Have you ever thought of that? We're moving in Him, and we have our being. And it's, that word moves, it means to stir up. There's a certain sense of passion, of feeling, uh, 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 set in motion. When I used to go to, to church with my parents as a kid, everyone was sort of 
dour and, and, and serious or trying to be serious and, uh, and, and all this. And then we come out of the door and everyone would be happy again. I used to say, I don't want that. But then when the spirit of life comes in, of Jesus Christ comes into your life, you, you realize what true joy really is. Like all creative activity begins with movement, be it imagination, inspiration, ideas. There's movement happening. Life boils down to movement. We have to move. I mean, when, when, when my dear mom at 95, when, 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 when she died, I was with her, and she passed away, and movement all stopped. Her breathing stopped. She'd gone. She, her spirit had gone to glory, but her, her body had died. Um, you know, change means movement. And sometimes movement can mean friction. Maker and shaker. Sometimes there's a sense of stone or iron sharpening iron. Right at the beginning, the Bible tells us that the Spirit of God was moving, was hovering on the face of the earth. That word brooding, it means he was, was moving in waves of rhythmic energy. I like that. You know, sometimes we think of the Holy Spirit as just sort of a quiet, gentle breeze, and he can be, but he's a great, powerful third person of the Godhead. And all the way through Scripture, we have the movings of God. Um, and so this morning, believe it or not, I want to talk to you a little bit about movement and moving. Um, you know, love moves. When you love something, you move. When you're in love, you move. Love moves. Love caused God to move upon the race of human beings on the earth who had fallen, who had imbibed a poison called sin that enters into the hearts of every man and woman. It's not just the things we do. Sin is more who we are. And, 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 and it's, it, it cut us off from the Godhead. It, 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 it made us more indifferent to Him. It, it's caused independence of Him. You know, we don't believe in God. We don't believe in that myth. We believe in the power, in the power of science, in the power of medicine. And praise the Lord for those powers. But I tell you, they'll fail. They have failed. They will fail. We praise the Lord for that. But it all comes. All good gifts come from above. So we want to move to Him. You know, I, I, I heard this story a few months ago. And it stuck with me. In the late 1950s, uh, there was a movie called The Seventh Seal, and it was directed by Ingmar Bergman. And it's a story about a medieval knight and his friend, and they're returning home from the Crusades, and they're coming back to their country in Europe, and it's, it's in the grip of, uh, of black death, of a plague. And the knight realizes, I'm, I'm getting old, I'm, I'm nearing my end. He's thinking of life, and he's continuing to search for meaning. And on their way home, they encounter a strange character. He's actually the personification of death. Perhaps he is the devil. He's in black and a white face. And, and he comes up to this old knight as he's nearing his castle, and he says to him, I have been by your side for a long time. So the knight realizes this is death talking to him, and he challenges this person and they make an arrangement that they're, they're going to play a game of chess for the knight's soul and for that of his friend. It's, it's a strange sort of movie, but, but uh, um, bear with me. The game continues, the game of chess, sort of intermittently throughout the, throughout the movie, and there's various scenes, and, uh, and the chess game is played between them. And towards the end of the movie, they're having another game, and there's the devil or the personification of death in their plane, and, and all of a sudden, the devil says, checkmate. And a few scenes later, the curtain comes down, and that's it, and that's the end. But in the audience, in this New York City movie theater, is a 14-year-old chess prodigy. He's called Bobby Fischer. You may have heard about him. In fact, when he was 15, a year later, he became the youngest grandmaster that there ever was. Uh, he had a bit of a tragic end, but, but what a chess player. Now, the director of that movie, Ingrid Bergman, he'd arranged the chess pieces in such a way that, that, that only a chess expert could see how they were arranged. And the only thing the audience, the audience heard was checkmate, and they're, they're looking at the faces of the people and per peripheral things. But Bobby Fischer was looking at the chessboard, and he realized as the curtain came down, he said, why is he giving up? 
And some of his friends, are, because uh, Bobby Fischer could, could get agitated quite, quite easily, and they're trying to calm him down. And as the curtain comes down, the lights come on. People are standing up, putting on their coats. And Bobby Fischer stands up in that movie theater in New York City, and he shouts out at the embarrassment of his friends. He shouts out, the king has one more move. I felt that today. I felt that. The king is, of course, he's, it's a narrow title. The king has many more moves. <laughs> but today is the day that the king has one more move. Bobby Fisher was, of course, speaking about the king on the chessboard, but we're talking about the king of kings, the lord of lords, one today who sits on the throne in the heavens and who continues to reach out and to draw and move us towards him. Hallelujah. And he is definitely doesn't take a genius to, to, to sense in our spirit that he has moved today, already moved. Maybe I'm just the, the kind of the, uh, I'm bringing the dessert. The main course has already come. He has moved. The king is one more move. And you, you may be a believer. You may not be a believer. You may be religious. You may be not. You may be whatever. It doesn't matter. He moves to all men, all women. And he has met that cosmic force of sin in all its horror on a place called Calvary. That not only it neutralizes sin, but it's destroyed its power. So actually, in his name, there is no power that can pre prevent you from moving. Now, sometimes we get paralyzed and we don't move. Emotionally, mentally paralyzed. We'll touch on that in a minute. I just want to talk about one or two people that Jesus met and he moved towards them. And we can read, uh, I, if you have a Bible, you may like to go to Luke 19, but it's a time when Jesus was passing through a city called Jericho. It was the lowest point in the earth. It st still is the city of Jericho. Very hot down there. I've been there once. And he was passing through there, and he spoke this statement. And in many ways, this was his mission statement. And this is his mission statement until he comes again. And he said this, the Son of Man, talking about himself, has come to seek and to save that which was lost. And he said this after ministering to two different men, neither of whom could see Jesus, one because he had physical blindness and the other because he was so small. He couldn't see him. And of all the people that were gathered in Jericho that day and there were crowds, these two moved a little. They moved to seek Jesus. Bar the Bartimaeus, the blind man, by, by, by inquiring and then calling out his name loudly, and Zacchaeus, the corrupt tax official, by climbing a tree as high as he could. That's how they moved. Now, how can you move? How can I move? God will show you. Come just as you are. <laughs> move towards it. For some here, it's no doubt an opportune time. For some of you out there listening in your homes, this is an opportune moment to move, whatever you're in or at or from where you are, to move on. And if you read this chapter, just, just at the end of 18, it's full of movement. It says in verse 35, he, Jesus, was coming near. In the first verse of 19, he entered and passed through. Verse 28, he went on ahead. Verse 41, he drew near. And then finally, he went into the temple in Jerusalem. There's movement here. There are times that it's your day of visitation and opportunity. God moved in these people's lives. Now, he, he might not always linger in one sense. Of course, he'll always come. He'll always pass by. But he may not always linger. And when he comes, take that opportunity. That's why today we cannot afford to miss his move. He'll come again. He's gracious. But really, to see him, you need to respond by moving towards him in our hearts, in our choices, in our wills. You know, I wonder if Zacchaeus had heard in the tax collector's grapevine about what happened earlier when Jesus had moved and met his fellow tax collector. They were probably 80 or 90 miles apart. I don't know if they knew one another. His name was Levi, who became Matthew. And he was equally hated and despised by the people. But Jesus had dinner with him, as he, had, as he would have with Zacchaeus. And he said, Levi, why don't you come and follow me? And Matthew moved and his life was changed, and we're still reading his book. Hallelujah. It's amazing what one move can make in your life. Now, it's probable that Zacchaeus, for all his money, had this ache in his heart. Now, ache is kind of different to pain. It is pain, but it's, it's just, it's, it's hard to describe ache. He had an ache in his heart. 
And it's interesting, it doesn't say that he just wanted to see Jesus. It said he sought to see who Jesus was. There's a difference. There's an intentionality there. He wanted to figure out, what is this man, Jesus, that they're talking about? What makes him different? And there's a degree of, of, of deep yearning in Zacchaeus, which wasn't there with Bartimaeus. Bartimaeus, initially, it was just a passing curiosity. And then he I'm blind. I'll call out to this man. But with Zacchaeus, there was something of a deep yearning in his heart that certainly came to the forefront. And he yearned to see him. The other thing I noticed about Zacchaeus, this is important, as he began to move, there were difficulties in the way. There were difficulties in the way. There are always difficulties in the way when anyone ever wants to move to God. And you sometimes, sometimes they're big difficulties, sometimes they're small. The crowd was in the way. He couldn't see. The crowd is always in the way who want to go to Christ. Many years ago, and it was in the summertime, when a friend of mine came and talked to me about having a relationship with Jesus, etc., said, I thought he was mad, I thought he was this, but something spoke into my heart. And one of the things that would have prevented me was the crowd. The crowd was in the way. And during that summer, I won't tell you what year it was, it was a long time ago, but one of the, the big hits of that summer was a, was a song called, I'm In With The In Crowd. Now, there's been a few versions ever since. You, oh, yeah, I know that, the 90s. No, I'm not talking about the 90s version. I'm talking about the decade where there was real music. But anyway, I go out. I'm in with the in crowd. I go where the in crowd go. I'm in with the in crowd. I know what the in crowd know. And that, that was preventing me. Here, there was this great crowd of people I felt happy with. We, can do, we could do things together and not feel guilty until we were on our own. And then there was this solitary man telling me about a new life, a new horizon, a new world in crowd. I, I, by his grace, I left the crowd and I followed him. Another thing that prevented Zacchaeus, or could have prevented, was the smallness of his stature. Uh, um, uh, you know, when we move towards Jesus, we can look at ourselves, ah, no, I'm too, ah, no, it isn't for me, ah, ah, ah no, sure. What about my past? What am I meant to? What are the mess I am? And we don't move. Keep moving. And the other thing is a lack of opportunity. How, this is what Zacchaeus is, how will he know I really want to see him? I don't want him to see me, but I want to see him. How will he know? But you know, the king had one more move for this man. He had one more move in Jericho that day. He's one more move on the earth today, all over the earth. He's one more move towards you, towards me. And one of the beautiful things about this story is God made a way before this man moved. You think you're here by chance. You think you're here, you're tuning in by chance. Oh, I don't have anything else on Sunday morning. Uh, 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 um, Oh, I like the music. Uh, I'm not sure about the preacher, but the music is good. And you're here by chance. No, you're not. You see, when... God moves, he's made a way before for you to move. Now, I want you to look at, just pause for a moment, look at a little cameo verse back in Deuteronomy. I'll read it out if you don't have a Bible or a tablet. Back in Deuteronomy, last chapter 34. Bear with me. Then Moses went up from the plains of Moab, Mount Nebo, top of Pisgah, which is across from Jericho. Jericho, very old city. <laughs> this is hundreds of years beforehand. And the Lord showed him all the land of Gilead, as far as Dan, all Naphtali, and the land of Ephraim, Manasseh, and all this land of Judah. It was a high mountain, and all as far as the western sea, the south, and the plain of the valley of Jericho. And he says here, it was the city of palm trees. City of palm, the lowest city in the world. There's no mention of sycamore trees. It's the city of palm trees. You may think this is a little bit far-fetched. Think what you want. This is just a thought that came to me. This sycamore tree that Zacchaeus climbed, it must have been the purposeful planting by a God who foresaw and knew that one day in the future a palm tree just would not do. And he said, I'm going to make sure there's a sycamore tree. For that day, that moment, as my son goes forth to seek and to save that which is well. And we went, oh, that's just a coincidence. It's a God incidence. And some of us are here today because he's brought you here. Maybe you've come struggling, reluctantly. 
and you've come in, maybe you're listening and you say, oh, well, you're not here by accident. You know, God had already provided a front row seat for that little man who wanted to seek after his son. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And the rest is history. You can read the story himself. He was up there covering over, thinking no one would see. And Jesus, moving in the power of the Spirit, had a word of knowledge. Not only he knew where this little man was, he knew his name. He knows your name. He looked up and he said, hey, Zacchaeus, you're hiding up there amongst the sycamore trees. I want to come to your house for tea. He's saying, who me, Lord? Well, who else is up there, Zacchaeus? And then the big thing, he had to come down. There's a movement we don't like. In an age, in a world that says, no, be, be edified, keep, keep exalting yourself, he had to come down. This, this, those many summers ago, my friend was here and my crowd was here. I had, to, I had to come down. I had to say, you're right. I had to say it, and, and, and we had to come. He had to come down to but he did. Here, here's another man, a different man, and Jesus moved out to him. If you turn to John chapter 5, um, it talks about this man. He, he, it's, it's, it's a place in Jerusalem. He says, there lay a great multitude of sick people, blind people, lame, paralyzed. And what does it say? They were waiting for the moving of the water. And a certain man was there who had been in infirmity 38 years. That's a long time waiting for a move. <laughs> Hallelujah. You know, some of us be beside older people and they're, they're on their deathbed and they make a move. And they make a move. It's never too late. But this man, and, and it's like he said, no one's there to put me in the water because apparently at that time an angel would come down at a certain time and the first in, it seems, it, it, it's, 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 anyway, it, it seems strange to me, but if you were in first, you got healed and he'd been there 38 years. Maybe initially he had relatives who would help him, maybe a friend, but now after 38 years, maybe some of them had died and here he is, here he is again. It's interesting that the location of this place was between a prison gate and a house of grace. He was in the prison, but there was going to be a move of grace upon his life. And really what was wrong with him, he, was, he, he, was, he, he had paralyzing hopelessness, permanently losing out, resigned to his fate, but the God of grace was about to move and change that. And there are many people in our, in our land today who are just resigned to their fate, and they're paralyzed to move, certainly spiritually. And Jesus comes, and this is the beautiful picture here. He unlocks the paralysis that enables that man to move. So we are without excuse. You may say, oh, I've tried being a Christian before, or I was really offended by a church, or, or, or it didn't work for me, and I prayed to God, and he didn't seem to answer, and you get paralyzed to the possibility that the king has one more move in your life. In fact, these frustrations and a sense of hopelessness have a crippling effect upon you. And then he says to this man, and this person is here today by his Holy Spirit, and he, he says, move, rise, take up that thing you've been lying upon all these years, your bed. He, he actually says it three times. It's recorded three times. Take up your bed and walk. Take up your bed. Take up that thing. And you know, our bed, it could be a bed of self-pity. Oh, I, I never have self-pity. We all have it from time to time. <laughs> Stop lying to yourself. It could be a bed of offense. It could be a bed of disappointment, a, de a bed of deception, a bed of resignation. And there's that moving to him in response to his move to you. And he says, come, walk away, and be made well. And then he says to him, when Jesus asks him if he wants to make to be made well. He doesn't say, oh yes, please. He says, sir, I've no man to move me into the pool when the water's stirred up while I'm coming another steps down before me. Da, 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 da. And he could have said, this has been the story of my life and it doesn't seem to be ever changing. <laughs> the king is one more move. Don't let history dictate to, your, to you about your future. Hallelujah. The times they are are changing. Respond. 
And that man was so, was so, he got up after 38 years, his legs must have been so thin. I remember I came back from Russia once and I had pneumonia. I had to spend like three weeks in bed. And I remember my, my, my legs were so thick. This 38 years. And yet somehow the power of divinity swept into his, his bones. And he got up. He probably wobbled a bit. And, and, and he, he knew he had been healed. And it's interesting if you read the complete story. A few days later, Jesus came to him again and spoke. He moved him again, and he spoke to him about other things he needed to know, about sin and judgment and other things. He keeps moving towards us. I want to talk about unexpected moves. Have you ever had unexpected moves? There's a man called Oswell Chambers, great writer, sold his, uh, uh, gave his life to the Lord during World War II, one out in the trenches, ministering to the troops in Egypt. He died there as a young man, but he wrote some wonderful books. Here's something he said. We are not uncertain of God. We're just uncertain of what he's going to do next. <laughs> Walk with him a while. Oh, Lord, <laughs> I didn't expect that. But you see, the great father that he is, he anticipates now, Ryan, is, he's a great father. I could see he's going, he's going to anticipate for his son. He's going to put a far guard because he's going to anticipate. That reader's going to walk. He, 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 he anticipates. But what about this for anticipation? So, so they're there one day, and Philip from Bethsaida, one of his disciples, is with him. And, and they all see these thousands of people coming. It's in the evening time. And it says this, Jesus lifted up his eyes, seen a great multitude coming towards them, and he says to Philip, and Philip's saying, who, me? Unexpectedly. He said, Philip, Phil, where will we buy bread that all these may eat? That's a pretty unexpected move. And Phil, he didn't understand. He said, oh, 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 well, I reckon we need eight months' wages to, 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 and he was right. He's only moving on information. So often we just move on information. Jesus is coming all the time with revelation. But then there's a little interesting verse. It says here, But this Jesus said to test him, for he knew of himself what he would do. Lord, I wish you'd tell me <laughs> beforehand, but he's always out to keep us moving, keep us pulling. And you may be in a place right now, and you feel, Lord, I need to know. That's, that's to joy, because if everything went one, two, three, four, we'd stop coming to him. He wants to keep us moving. It's like when a child begins to walk and they fall down the first time. I mean, ah, forget it. You know, you'll never move. And go. But you say, come on, another one, another one. And, and this is what happens. You know, Peter must have been surprised when one day the TTC approached him. And you know what the TTC is. It's the temple tax collectors. And they're coming in. And they say, does your teacher not pay the temple tax? Now, every good accountant will tell you that if the revenue commissioners approach you. Keep the conversation brief. Some of you said it louder than others. But anyway. So, does your teacher not pay the temple tax? He said, yes. And that's it. And when he had come into the house, Jesus anticipated him. And he said to Peter, what do you think, Peter? From whom do the kings of the earth pay taxes or customs? From their sons or from strangers? Peter said to him, from strangers. And Jesus said, then the sons are free. However, nevertheless, lest we offend them, go to the sea, cast in a hook, take the fish that comes up first, and when you've opened its mouth, you'll find a piece of money. Take that out and give it to them for me and you. How many steps were involved in getting that coin, the exact amount, into the fish's mouth, and then directing that fish to the hook? Think of the timing, the precision. Naturally, the impossibility of it all. God is the Lord of all the details of our lives. And even in the weave of circumstances that surround us, it's overseen by God himself. I really believe that. I've lived long enough and been through a few things where I messed up, made mistakes, and he's done something with precision and sensitivity and intimacy that only he could know. Hallelujah. You know, sometime later, they drew near to Jerusalem. Jesus there, he loves these men. He's, he's, he, they, they talk together, they eat together. They've been three years together. And they're coming to a place called um, Mount of Olives. And he says to two of his disciples, mm, 
We do go into the village there opposite, and as soon as you've invented it, you'll find a colt tied on, tied up. No one has sat in it. Loose it and bring it to me. And they're thinking, you mean rob it? Steal it? Mm, borrow it, maybe? But hey, he, he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. That colt was his anyway. But anyway, he says, if anyone says to you, what are you doing? Say the Lord has need of it, and immediately he will send it here. And so they went their way. They found the colt. They tied outside the street. They loosed it. But some of those who stood by said, hey, what are you doing? Loosening the colt. And they spoke to them just as Jesus had commanded, wise men. And so they let them go. And there were these unexpected moves that the Lord will do because he, 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 he knows what's ahead, and he can prearrange and organize things. You know, they, they were looking for a place to hold the Passover. And Jesus said, go into the city, follow a man with a water pot in his head, which was very unusual. It was, it was the dear women who had the water pots in their heads. And those but there will be a man, follow him, go into the house. You ask for the owner of the house and tell him, where's your best room? We want to prepare it to have the Passover with the master. And you're right. It was all prepared for them. And, and it was done. Jesus knew what he would already do. You know, some of these, uh, these unexpected moments can be exhilarating and exciting. They can also be sometimes kind of a bit, what's the word I'm looking for? A bit apprehensive. You know, free food, taxes paid, free transport, free accommodation. But there can be other unexpected moves that can be a bit of a shock to your system as he wants to bring us out of our old ways into new ways. But whatever moment you're at at this point in time, it may not be one like that. It may be that you're really having to trust him and you're wondering what he is going to do. You can trust him. You know, I, yesterday um, evening I was just thinking about this word and, uh, and I remember this thing about unexpected moves. I was, I was flying to India and we were in Abu Dhabi and uh, we had our boarding passes. I was on my own, but I was at the back of a queue and I met this Hindu man from India. We got talking. He was an engineer, lived in London, returning to his parents. He said, uh, and what are you doing? And I said, well, I'm, I'm going to speak at a Christian conference. Oh, he said, I'm Hindu. I said, wonderful. <laughs> and and, and uh, uh, we talked a little bit. He said, the one thing he said, said um, you believe in miracles, do you? I said, oh, yeah, yeah, I believe in miracles. Oh, he said, no, no, Hindu, we just believe in fate. So anyway, I, I didn't say much, but as we approached the desk, we gave our boarding pass. She looked at his, stamped it. He, he hung around, we had a bit to walk. I gave mine. She took mine. She put it on. She gave me another one. Oh, she said, uh, Mr. Hill, we've upgraded you to business class. I look at him. He looks at me, and I said, was that a miracle or fate? Oh, he said, I think that was a miracle. <laughs> Unexpected things. I take from that. There are other times I'm dying for an upgrade, and I never get one. But then you happen to be sitting beside someone who maybe, okay, you get the picture. One other movement. There are many movements we could talk about. I want to talk about the two-way movement. The two-way movement, because this is really important. You see, when we move away from Jesus, he still moves after us. And there was a time, it's the third day just after the crucifixion, and there's two men, they were followers of Jesus, we don't know their names, and they're going in the wrong direction. You know, at times our direction can be wrong. At times our heart can be wrong. Our understanding of Scripture can be wrong. Our priorities can be wrong. Our timing can be wrong. Everything can be wrong. And they, we think we've probably missed any call on our lives that might have been. But you know something? Jesus has another move for you. And you think, oh, I'm, I'm getting a bit old, I'm retired, I haven't done much in my life, I'm lonely. And, uh, he has another move for you. Hallelujah. Oh, you may be young, but how will I ever afford a house? How will I ever afford a mortgage? How will I ever... Uh, 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 kids and everything else. We, we go through different seasons of our life. The king has one more move. How, how the world can live without him, I do not know. You know, for these two dear men, maybe Jesus had not seemed to live up to their expectations. And they were having fellowship together about their dashed hopes, their disappointment, their disillusionment. And there's many Christians like that around. And sometimes it's because of our limited perspective. We can feel as if he's 
let us down. We thought that he would do something, but he didn't do it. We thought we were trusting in the promises of his word, but they, they don't seem apparently to have happened. We thought we were praying in line with his will, but he didn't seem to answer. God hasn't really come through the way we had hoped. They didn't understand why God had let them down. But if you read this portion in Luke 24, you can see they're only moving on horizontal information. But Jesus comes and gives them vertical revelation that moved their hearts, that moved them. You know, it says, Luke records that they were sad. Their sadness was rooted in a mixture of impatience. They got their timer on. They didn't wait for the full three days. And if they'd been in Jerusalem, Jesus was appearing to people, resurrected Lord. And that misunderstanding led to disappointment and disappointment to doubt and doubt to discouragement. It's a downward spiral. Sounds familiar? And then it says in verse 15, this is a great verse, it says, Jesus himself drew near. He had another move. And he sought them, and he caught them, and he taught them. You know, when we're confused and disillusioned, the Lord will open things for us. He'll open things for us. If, if wait for him to open things. Here he opened the Scriptures, and he opened their eyes. That's what it says. He opened the Scriptures like never before. They'd had this long walk, a seven-mile walk from Jerusalem to Emmaus, and it says that beginning at the books of Moses through the prophets. What a Bible study that must have been. Why didn't they have their tape recorder and we could have put it on YouTube and made a fortune? But anyway, he opened their scriptures and their eyes. Both are vital. Light without sight is limited. So when we read this book, ask him, Lord, open my eyes to understand what you're saying to me. And sight without light is limited. It takes both. Jesus is the great opener. And maybe you're here today and you're sort of strangely drawn. You're, you're curious. You're, you've sensed something in the atmosphere. Was it just the music or was it whatever? No, it's him. It's the spirit, and he's drawing you, and he wants to open up your heart to him. And it's significant that it was the word more than the physical senses of sight that made him real to them because they said initially, oh, we recognized him. We knew it was him because he opened his word to us. You know, which shows that, that the visible is not always the most important thing. In fact, the invisible world in this room is far greater than the visible world. Pastor Nick was right. Myriads of angels here. And maybe a few, of, a few demons as well. But who, we're, 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 but the king of glory is here. And other things are dispersed. Hallelujah. And this experience stirred their hearts. They said, did not our heart burn within us? Heartburn. Have you ever had spiritual heartburn? Anyway, while he talked with us, by the way, and while he opened to us the Scriptures. And their experience propelled them to do a 180-degree turn. Now, a 180-degree turn came to me when I was sitting down there. There is someone, I think someone out there, looking in. You need to do a 180-degree turn, if I could respectfully say that to you. You are going down the wrong road. Do that 180-degree turn. The king is making a move towards you today. Turn back. Turn back. Uh, um, there's a way we were out in County Clare two weeks ago, and I'm inclined to go down these roads towards the sea. And you come, turn back, cliff ahead. And my wife is like, did you see that sign? I said, I did, honey. It's okay. I'm, I'm wondering how that. Uh, and we used to take a small caravan years ago. We get stuck down these roads. And can you reverse back? I couldn't. But of course I can reverse back. Have you ever tried reversing with a caravan? There are times that you need to turn back 180 degrees. And Jesus has helped, drew near and caused these men to turn back. Hallelujah. Anyway, yes, I have one more. I've been faster than I thought I would be. This is a great one. This is a momentum of moves. Have you ever been caught up in a momentum of moves? Uh, 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 when one thing keeps moving, it, it, it's, it's, it's exciting. And for this one, we're going to turn to Acts chapter 8. Some of you will know this story. Some of you may not have ever heard of it, but there's a man called um, Stephen. No, I beg your pardon. Philip. Stephen's died. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, I'm getting excited about this momentum of moves. This is great. Hang in there, right? Um, Philip is preaching in the middle of a revival in Samaria. Many are getting healed. 
Miracles are happening. Holy Spirit is, is, is falling upon them. And he wants Philip to move. God wants Philip to move. But in the excitement and what he's doing, he's not hearing. So he sends an angel and he gives him a bit of a, a push. He said, Philip, oh, who are you? I'm an angel. Arise, move, go towards the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem. This is the desert. Sometimes we have to move from where it's, it seems to be full happening and there's a place of desert for us. But there was a purpose in all of this. And how a positive response to that initial move can lead to a whole movement gaining a whole momentum, a life of its own. So, he moves from revival to desert. And if you're following there, you can see that this initial move, it, 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 it caused this whole cascade of movement flowing from one another. Just have a look at some of these movements within a move, because you, you think I, I make a move and that's it, I'm on my own, I'm, I'm on the waves. I'm, no, no. He, he, he's calling you to make a move. There's more moves ahead. The king is always one more move. And here's the first one in verse 29. He says to him, this time is the Holy Spirit. It didn't take an angel. The Holy Spirit within him is alive, speaking to him. And he says, Philip, go near and overtake the chariot. Now, how fast the chariot was traveling, how many horses, we don't know. There was a, uh, uh, probably the chancellor of the exchequer of Ethiopia is driving that horse, or his servant is driving it. And he says, overtake and Philip's running, and he's probably put out of breath, and he said, ah, I've missed him, sure. You know, I'll drop, him in, I'll drop him like an email, and it'll be all right. But no, Philip, this word overtake. By the way, the Greek word for Philip, it actually means lover of horses. I don't know if he loved horses or not. But he had to come near this chariot. And what spoke to me was this. Sometimes you'll have to overtake some sort of fear, some sort of reticence, some reluctance, some, some attitude. It's not enough to be near. There is a movement, a stirring to overtake. Overtake. I've been down that road before. No, you haven't. This is a new road that the Lord is opening up to you. The next thing we see, movement in verse 30, he ran, he heard, he spoke. The door is opening. The man says uh, uh, he's reading. And Philip had the right question for him. Important of the right question when you're witnessing. He says, do you know who these verses are about? And the Ethiopian eunuch is interested. And it's important. This was an important man. And he's heading home upset and disappointed. Why? He'd been to the right place. Jerusalem. That's where the temple was. The Holy of Holies. He'd been to the right place. He'd come and he did the right thing. He said he'd come to worship. And he was even reading the right book, the Bible, and yet he's still heading home. Because you see, what we're talking about, it's a person. Christianity is, is about a person. And so Philip sees he needs this shift, he needs this movement, and he comes and he makes the connection. And in verse 31 it says, um, How can I... No, unless someone guides me. What a question. The door is opened, and Philip begins to speak, and he speaks to this man. Heart. He, he brings up, here, sit in the chariot with me and explain to me. Movement. Here's a movement of the tongue. He preaches Jesus to him. Don't speak too soon, and don't hold off speaking. But sometimes you can blast in with all six guns blazing, you're a sinner, you need to be saved, in John 3, 16, and, and it may be too, and the guys say, go away. But Philip was moving, there's a momentum of moves, you take one step and another step and another step, and again, and the door open, and all of a sudden, evangelism is easy, once he, he overtook the chariot. And then, in verse 38, it says this, so he commanded, that is, oh, sorry, I better read 37, Philip said, you can be baptized if you believe with all your heart. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And that's all he had to do at that point in time. And there was a great door opened in this man's life. And so they come to water. Verse 38, he commanded the chariot, and both Philip and the eunuch went down in the water, and he, was, and he baptized him. What, what was the movement? He shared, because this, there's, there's been much... 
much error about what baptism is. It, it's, a, it's a picture of what you've experienced in your heart, that you're going to die to self, to sin, by the power of Christ, and you rise again into a resurrected life. And Philip is walking with him, and he's saying, this is a death worth dying. And sometimes you've got to move with someone, stand with someone. Listen, I'm testifying to you, there's a life worth living, but like Zacchaeus, you have to come down off the tree and bow the knee at some stage. And so he went on his way rejoicing. In verse 40, uh, I beg your pardon, 39, Philip was moved to be removed. The, Ethiop the Ethiopian was moved to rejoicing. There's always movement. And Philip knew, that's it. And just one thing I want to point out before I finish. It says in verse 40, but Philip was found in Azotus, and passing through, he preached in all the cities he came to, until he came to Caesarea. If you go back to verse 5, uh, Philip went down to the city of Samaria. You don't lose by moving in the will of God to the desert, from one city to many cities. The door kept opening. And by the way, if you follow on, maybe, I don't know, 15, 20 years later, we meet Philip again, and he's in a port city of Caesarea, and he's four daughters who prophesy. <laughs> I imagine if you have a small house with a small bathroom, and you have four daughters who prophesy, say, Dad, it does set the Lord, it's my turn. <laughs> Sorry. I thought it was funny. <laughs> it says he'd four daughters the prophecy. Amen. Movements within a movement. Can I just say this? Because you can share something like this, all these big dramatic movements, but not every move is big and dramatic, but it's important. You can have a small move, a small choice, a small decision, a response that can have a great bearing and direction in your life. You know, the earth, the planet that we're living on, moves within moves. So it spins on its own axis. And I, I think they call that rotation. And it takes about 24 hours to complete a rotation. But within that, there is, there is another move. That the earth is moving around the sun, and that's called revolution. But that, only, that takes 365 days approximately to make a full revolution. What I'm saying is if, if there's some small move that you know that you have to make tonight or today, make it. Small moves are important. You may only have, I don't know, three, four, five major moves, decisions in your life. Maybe it comes down to one or two. I don't know. But every day we're making decisions. One time I was uh, speaking in a, in a community uh, church, and, uh, um, and uh, on the way out, a dear lady, she gave me a big book that, uh, because I made a quote, and she said, I thought you may like this, and it was, it's called uh, The Poetry of William Cowper. And it's a huge book, and William Cowper was a, was a, was a writer and poet. He, he lived in the 18th century. I confess I haven't read through the book, but I was, I was kind of interested. And then I remember we sang a hymn, and I saw at the bottom, William Cowper wrote that hymn. But William Cowper was a man who suffered from severe depression. And John Newton, the slave trader who became a Christian, and he wrote Amazing Grace, he actually took William Cowper, John Newton and his wife, they took William Cowper into their home, and they helped him a lot. But William Cowper tells the story that one day he got so depressed that he just wanted to end it all. And so he, he flagged down a cab, horse-driven cab, and he said, take me to London Bridge. And he was this cloud of depression, and I just can't get away from this. And I, he just said, Lord, help me, but this is what I, the only thing I can do. And a mist came down over London, suddenly. And the cabbie, he couldn't find the bridge. And he, an hour and a half. And William Cowper said, he said, where are we? He said, sir, I don't know. I said, well, you better take me home. And he turned the home. He said, yeah, I know how to get back. And at the end, William Cowper took out the money to pay him. And the cabbie said, sir, I, I didn't bring you to your destination. And he said, I know. You saved my life. You take the money. And he went upstairs. He lit a candle. And he wrote a great hymn. And here are two lines from this hymn. And I'll leave you with this. God moves 
in mysterious ways. His wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps on the sea. And listen to this, those of you who are in the middle of a gale. And he rides upon the storm. This man knew that the king had one more move in his life. You know you can be moved so that you can tune in and hear the voice of the Lord. There are so many movements left that we could talk about. Thank you for listening. But before we close, is Andy there? Or, uh, we just come up. We'll have a song. I want to pray. When Ham prayed that prayer, it started a cascade out there online, here in hearts. You cannot deny that he hasn't moved is moving, will continue to move. You, you probably know what to sing, do you? Yeah. Waymaker? Do you know the one? And he wants to make this way for us. Remember, before you ever move, he's made the way. You need a miracle because of just who we are at times. We need a miracle. He's the miracle worker. And even when you don't see, he's moving. Even when you don't think he's moving, he's moving. So we'll sing this. Now I'll pray and then we'll sing it. This moment of time, Lord, we thank you. You are the great mover. And yet you're at complete rest and stillness, in control. The great executor of the universe. We thank you, Father. I pray that whoever you're speaking to, Lord, will have the grace from you, the impetus from you, the momentum from you to just move out tonight, to today, and touch you. And by the time the end of the day comes, they will know that they have had a, an audience with the king. They will have known that you have moved in their life, Lord. Whether it is to come into your kingdom and be born again, whether it is to come out from a state of being paralyzed, whether it's to turn that 180 degree around, whether to obey you in those small movements. We thank you, Father, that you are at work. Hallelujah. Thank you for tuning in with us today. Make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Cork Church. Also, make sure to like and subscribe to our YouTube channel. If you have any questions, you can email us info at corkchurch.com or just check out our website. It's www.corkchurch.com. Again, thank you for tuning in and we will see you next time.